But they have to be ordained. I said, show me in the Word. doesn't matter if I can show you in the Word. That's how we've always done it. That's a good reason to quit it. <laughs> so God's called us to Africa. All my evangelist friends, this is what they tell me. And, you, and you, you'll know this as you think. You don't find them in the United States anymore. They've gone to other countries. Because the United States has said no to the gifted evangelist. We want seminars. We want conferences. We don't want somebody to come in and make us feel uncomfortable. We don't want somebody to come in and preach salvation and three quarters of the church get saved. I was at a church a couple of years ago and the pastor said, I think three quarters of my church is lost. I was shocked. Sunday morning, three quarters of the church out of 300 people stood to get saved. I said, sit back down. You don't understand what I'm saying. I gave another invitation. Three quarters stood up again. I made them sit down the second time. They finally convinced me they wanted to be saved. <laughs> we don't want that. I used to work with Care Center Ministries, which is an inner city ministry in Dallas. Stayed there for about nine months and would preach to the church a lot and preach to the men that, I mean, ex-convicts, ex-drug addicts. I mean, awesome, awesome people, the kind of disciples I'd want. <laughs> Brings a whole different meaning to I've got your back. You know, when a guy comes up, there was a guy there. He had a scar from here to here. And when you hugged him, you felt bullet holes in his back. And when he comes up and says, I've got your back, you go, I know you do. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just really cool. I'd pick them as disciples any day. You know, it's like, okay, now let's go take the world. You know, let somebody tell us no. <laughs> but when I would preach there, the joke among the men at the men's home was this. Oh, gosh, Don's preaching Sunday. That means, you know, when Don preaches Sunday, all the angels in heaven are telling people in heaven, it's okay, you're okay. <laughs> you don't need to get saved again. You made it. <laughs> but evangelists are leaving this country. Sad thing. Really sad. I've been working on a book on evangelism, hoping I'll finish it in the next six months. But do you suppose that there's a correlation between no more evangelism and the spiritual condition of our church? You cannot come to full maturity. You'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine unless you have all five of them working in your church. I mean, maybe Ephesians is true. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, maybe it's really true. Maybe we can never become stable without all five voices. And when you kick a voice out of the country by saying we don't need it, maybe there's a correlation between the spiritual condition of our church and the lack of evangelist. We're all, listen, evangelism is not a gift. Evangelist is. We're all called to do evangelism. Everybody's called to do that. And if you're not doing it, something's wrong. Okay? And, and you know, I know people say, well, I need training. My God, you've been in the church 25 years. How much training do you need? How much training do you need to tell your story to someone? I was lost. I was this way. I found Jesus. I'm so glad. I mean, that makes a difference. You know, practice smiling. That'll help. Look like you're glad. Stand in front of the mirror. Witness to yourself. You might get saved. I mean, really stand in front of the mirror and go, I'm so glad I'm saved. Don't stand there and go, well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. Look what he did to me. How would you like to have some of this? <laughs> 
just being honest. Listen, I don't want you to work it up. I don't think we ought to have to get up in the morning and go, be smart, happy, go, here we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it ought to just flow like rivers of living water gushing from our innermost being. If it's not, something's stopping it up. Call a spiritual plumber. The fields are wide into harvest. Nearly half the world, I usually don't have notes, but I had to remember this. Nearly half the world struggles to find food, water, and shelter. Half the world. More than one billion people in the world today, one billion, not million, live and die in desperate poverty. They attempt to survive on less than $1 a day. <laughs> the amount of money that you'll spend on an order of french fries is what they'll survive on with their family for one day. Nearly 2 billion people live on less than $2 a day. More than 26,000 children will breathe their last breath due to starvation or a preventable disease today. 26,000. When we go to Africa... That's who we live with. Our first trip there, we spent 30 days out in the bush living with them. No water, no electricity, no commodes, just latrines, a hole in the ground. We went out there, were dropped off, and had no way of getting back to civilization. But lived with them for 30 days to learn their lifestyle, to become their friends, to connect with them, to let them know that we loved them enough to come live with them. Because every once in a while, a missionary will show up out there, a white man, a Mazungu, They'll show up out there and they'll jump out of their vehicle, say, Jesus loves you, died for you, you can give your life to him, jump in their vehicle and leave. And they say, they never come into our hut and have tea. They don't want to know us because they want to get back to civilization, want to get back to their hotel, they want to get back to their apartment in a major city. So we decided we're going to become a part of them. Well, now we have Maasai names. <laughs> they call us Mazungu Maasai. We're the white Maasai. And uh, my name is Lamayan. Lamayan in Masai means a man of blessing. And so they've given us names, and they literally have deleted the Mazungu part, and they now say, you're a Masai. My wife's name is Neserian, which is a woman of peace. <laughs> and, and we've become a part of that tribe. We've become, really, it's our family. We're going back in about nine days. We'll be there for two months with them. And uh, it's our family. It's like, our, you know, they call me dad. Many of them are saved because of our ministry there. I've ordained several of them into the ministry. And so they call me dad. They call my wife, mom. And when they send me an email, they'll say, dad, mom, we miss you. When are you coming back? And so, I mean, it's really become our family. The Maasai tribe is a very obscure, very primitive tribe. One of the most primitive tribes in Africa. They're very nomadic. They live out in the bush in the very remote places. We drove 2,600 miles. We were there just two months ago. We were there for two months. 2,600 miles, off-road, no trail, no road, 2,600 miles to get to where they lived. So we would go to a, what's called a Bama, a village, and we would have to drive four hours out in the bush with no road. We've been lost in the bush. Thank God a Blackberry has a GPS for two hours at night. I mean, and you have elephants. They're very ferocious more ferocious than the lions. 
uh, and we would be trying to find our way to a road on the GPS and come to a, a big drop-off and have to back up and try to get around it. And, and uh, we had some brand-new people from the United States with us, and they were freaking out. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, we're lost in the bush. We don't know how we're going to get back. I said, no, no, this is just a part. We do this to everybody. <laughs> You know, so you can't tell. So when you bring somebody, you've got to act a little nervous like everybody else. Now, where are we going? <laughs> you know? But uh, we have fallen in love with the Maasai people. They're, they're the warrior tribe of Kenya. Uh, they're the only people that can be in a major city and be carrying their spear and their sword and their bow and their arrow. Their arrows have poison on the end of it that can drop an elephant that quick. They get it from a root, they boil it, they roll the ends of their arrows on it, and they don't shoot like we do because it's just a stick. But they can shoot like this, and that arrow will go and hit almost every time. They're known for being very ferocious warriors. They were colonized by the British, and the British colonized them. They said, leave the Maasai. We don't want them here. They're too dangerous. At 17 years old, the young man has to go through a ceremony. At 17, the young man is circumcised, no painkiller. If he shows any tear, any sign of pain, any tremor, anything, he'll be laughed at and made fun of by his community the rest of his life. So they take hot coals and set it on their legs and watch it burn up their leg so they can sit there and become numb to pain. It's a society of people that have no idea what fear is. At 17, they take their spear and they have to go kill a lion to prove to the community that they're able to fight a lion and win. So they're a very unusual tribe. To get in with the Maasai tribe is very difficult. That's why we had to go live with them, to spend time with them. And now from Nairobi, Kenya, deep into Tanzania, we're known. And God did it. I don't give ourselves any credit for that. Uh, when I ordained the Maasai, I didn't know what to do. It was like, God, I've never done an ordination, you know, in Africa. And I think I've only done two in the United States. <laughs> And uh, so I don't know how to do this. And God said, wash their feet. So I said, I want to be an example of good leadership. So I had all the leaders sitting on the front. I said, take your shoes off because I want to wash your feet because that's a great leader. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It's not about a title. It's about the towel. And so I said, so take, and the Messiah with a white man that has been preaching 30 years, they honor him. It's really wrong, but they honor him like he's God. And they take in everything he says, that whatever you're saying is the truth. And so when they saw me kneel down in front of them and take this bowl, now you've got to understand the Maasai are almost emotionless. They started weeping. And they said, I can't let you wash my feet. They had a translator. I can't let you do that. And I said, I have to. I have to show you. I have to be a good leader and I have to show you what a leader is. That word spread throughout all of the Maasai land. There's a white man here that washed my feet. That has given us incredible notoriety. Our first trip there, when we lived there, they were in a three-year drought. Their cows were dying. There were dead carcasses everywhere. Everywhere you looked, you saw dead carcasses. And the Maasai were hanging themselves and drinking strychnine because the cows is all they have. That's their life. And they were losing them. And, and the first night, we were in this little thing that we were living in, very hot, mosquito net to catch the roaches from dropping on us. And I'm laying in my sweat, tossing and turning, and, and it was nasty and dirty and everything. You know, you just can't imagine. And God said, tell them tomorrow the drought is over. And I told God I wasn't going to do it. I know you would have immediately jumped on my head, but I said, God, I can't. I mean, if I tell them the drought's over, 
they're going to get their hope up because a white preacher from the United States said the drought, they're going to believe it. And if the drought isn't over, then their blood's going to be on my hands because many more will commit suicide because I gave them a false hope. And I thought, God, I can't do this. I just can't do it. I don't care what they think about me. But God, if I say this and it doesn't end, I mean, man, they're going to be hopeless again. And the next day, the next morning, I was preaching open air and and under the anointing, you know, you say things you don't intend to say. And while I was preaching, out of my mouth came, the, the drought is over. And I'm going, shut up. You have done it now. And I said it twice. The drought is over. I go, that's just in case somebody didn't hear it. And I'm going, oh, God, what have I done? You know, I didn't want to say that. God is my witness. Listen to me. God is my witness. The next day, we begin to go to villages. And every single village we went to, a cloud would come over the mountain. And it would start raining on that village. The word began to spread because the Maasai do have cell phones. And they begin to call all of their villages saying, we have a white prophet that can bring rain. They started getting rain. And I began to tell them, you know, they said, we need more rain. We need more rain. And I said, well, you know, when Jesus multiplied the food, he gave thanks for a little bit. And God turns a little bit into a lot. So you've got to give him a thanks for a little bit. You know, a little bit later it says, and when Jesus gave thanks, it didn't say when he multiplied the food. It said when Jesus gave thanks. So the emphasis is the giving thanks, not the miracle of multiplication. And so I said, so you just need to give thanks for a little bit of rain. And they all, everywhere I went, the Maasai were just, oh, I thank you for the little bit of rain. I thank you for the little bit of rain. I flew home to the United States. I got a text. They text me all the time. And I got a text, and it said, it is flooding in the Rift Valley. It's a desert. It was washing away their mud huts. They live in, in cow dung mud huts, and it was washing them away. So I texted them back. I said, stop praising. <laughs> You can go to the slide. And this is what we do. I'll just let you look at this movie. This is a, what a friend of ours put together about what we do. I'm Don Bavin, this is my wife, Michelle Bavin, and we've been in the ministry for over 30 years. God's called us to work with the Maasai tribe of East Africa, and they have the largest land mass of any of the 42 tribes in Kenya. We've traveled all over the Maasai territory sharing the gospel. And we're not, we're not talking about uh, in the city. We don't minister in the city like Nairobi or in Iraq. We minister in very remote places, very remote, deep in the bush. Our ministry has been more hands-on out in remote places where they rarely see a missionary go. And it's our joy to even be able to build churches out in these remote areas. We can't even tell you, even on film, the things that we've experienced. We see things that you've never seen in the United States. Many People are starving to death. Families are dying from starvation. You've got to feed them. They're starving. How do you go preach the gospel to them and say, be warm and fed, go and eat? You know, James talked about that. So we want to go and meet a need. And then they know we care and then show the gospel. We've also been able to do medical clinics. 
lots of people that way before they receive the medical help. Don gives a brief invitation and explains the plan of salvation, and we see many, many souls saved with these medical plans. All of the professions of faith are first-time professions of faith. And we go to areas that they have never heard the name Jesus. I know you can't imagine that being out of state. They don't have churches anywhere, no schools anywhere. They've never heard the name Jesus. So when we're talking about seeing thousands of people saved, we're talking about people that have never heard the gospel. We're talking about most of those people that have prayed to receive Christ for the very first time in their life. So today we're assisting with the medical clinic, and so important because the people are so sick here uh, that without medicine, many of them would die. And you know, I, I always think when I'm here, what if this was my family? What if this was my boys that had a need and an American showed up? Uh, listen, I'd be desperate for medical help too. And, uh, I just, it's hard to be here to see this and not do something. It's really good to look at their face and know that we're doing something that's going to help them to live. disciples uh, that really is true to God, and we're going to spread it out throughout the Mount Zion territory. And that way I'll work with those 12 leaders, and those 12 leaders will get 12 leaders, and we can multiply that with the entire country. There's more. We had an audio thing, but you can go to donbabin.com, and you can watch a lot of videos that we've put on our website, but we do. We go where people have never heard the name of Jesus, if you can imagine that. Do you know that literally there are billions of people that have never heard the gospel in the world? And we as churches, even here, are responsible. Because <laughs> Jesus said that we need to make disciples of all nations. And every church needs to have a world vision. A vision that's bigger than themselves. Then it takes God to fulfill that vision. We've seen more miracles than I can even. I, I, at one time, our first two trips, we tried to log the miracles. And, and it's really, you just get to the place where that's not even what it's about. I mean, you get to where you see so many miracles, it's really about salvation. I really understand now when it says, and signs and wonders followed them. See, if they're behind you, you're not even aware of it. And it's just where we go. It's just unbelievable. It's just we have to go back three, four months later and people run up to us with a translator and say, my wife had a kidney disease. She was healed. My daughter was blind. She was healed. Uh, my daughter had an earache and, and you prayed over a cloth and I went and put it under her bed and she was healed. And I mean, there's literally, literally thousands of those. Literally thousands. You don't even try to keep... And up with what, what all's going on. You just want to get the gospel to them. You just want to tell them about Jesus and let the miracles take care of the miracles. And then you come to the United States, and if somebody sees a miracle, they write a book on it. <laughs> we need to make room and time for God to work. Yeah, I know we're busy. I know that we've got lots to do. I know there's very important things you need to do after 12 o'clock today. I know that there's a kickoff and... You know, I know we've got to have that. And I've wondered many times if when Satan said to Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Maybe we got it. 
Maybe that's the problem. Uh, my Maasai friend you're going to meet in a minute on a video, he, uh, he, he said to me, you take me to USA. I said, no way. I'd never take you to the United States. It'd run you. You see, they don't have nothing. They have their mud hut. They have a few cows, a few goats, chickens that live in the house with them. So you'll be sitting there drinking tea and a rooster will come from underneath your leg. Maybe a goat will be underneath the bed. <laughs> Listen, we were 30 days out there with no commode and we checked into a hotel. And Let me tell you, the latrines, are, you just breathe through your mouth or otherwise you'll throw up. But I'll never forget, we checked into a hotel and had a commode. And literally, I just fell down. It was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Come on. Honey, get the camera. <laughs> we'll want a picture when we go back to the bush. Look. Wow, it flushes. <laughs> I mean, you know, we have so much here. You know, we go to places and we hold children. And when we go back, they're dead because they died of starvation. You've watched on the news the Somalians that have crossed over into Kenya and they have refugee camps. We were just south of that because they found entire villages of women and children that died of starvation. The men and the boys were gone taking care of the cows. You know, but the women and the children were dead, entire villages dead because they didn't have food. And I don't want to put you on a guilt trip. I don't know what the answer is, church. I don't. I mean, when I'm there, I want to come back because we're a nation of perfection. We're a nation of everything that we do is unbelievable. You know, and I want to come back and I enjoy the comfort, but then when I get here, it's like, I can't take it. You know, I mean, we've got, listen, I've looked in people's closets, you know, eight pairs of tennis shoes. I want to steal them. <laughs> I do. I feel like Robin Hood. I want to steal from the rich and take to the poor. And then we go and we get a pair of shoes and it's like, oh, I want to get a pair, another pair because it's green and that blue and it doesn't match my outfit. And they don't have shoes. We take shoes to the children so they don't get this thing called jiggers, not chiggers, but jiggers. And, and they bury themselves in their toe and it's very painful. And so we try to take them shoes. We ship them over there with us. We take very little in our bags so that we can pack shoes into duffel bags and 50-pound bags and give, get them over there so we can do a shoe outreach. I mean, we've got so much in this country. We complain because we miss a meal <laughs> or because we're hungry and they're dying of starvation. They have to walk four and five miles to get water. It cost me about $10,000 to drill a water well. This nation is filthy rich. And I'm trying to raise $10,000 to drill a well where they can have water. I mean, I don't understand it. It's not fair. It's just not fair. And when you're over there, I wish I could take every one of you with me because it would change your life. It really would. You can go to the next slide. Skip the video. We'll, you can go online and look at that. This man right here, that's the place where we lived for a month. This is the water pipe. They only had water that went here. And, and this is the latrines there. And, Oh, it was unbelievable. But we lived there for a month, and then we'd go to another remote area. This man right here walked three hours one way because he couldn't believe that a white man would show up in that village. About a month later, I won him to Jesus. 
Next slide. This is some of our Maasai friends in a village that we had lived in. Next slide. This is uh, uh, Pastor Jackson. Where this is, they meet under trees. That's their church. They'll walk four or five miles. They meet under the tree. They have little things they can sit on they've made out of tree limbs. And that's where they have church, four and five hour church. And when I went and I met Pastor Jackson, he said, we have been raising money for four years because <laughs> we want to put a metal roof right here to keep the rain off of us. Four years. So I was thinking to find out what does it cost. It's ridiculous what it costs to build just a tender because they have to truck it hours out into the bush. And then you've got to hire somebody. They have to drive out there and put it together. So it's about 1500 Next slide. There's this church we built. <laughs> well, now it's too small. <laughs> that happens over there. I mean, you know, they have a shelter, a place to stay out of the weather. They're, they don't like to get wet because they get pneumonia real easy. And so we put a cover. In that church right there, maybe two or three have a Bible. Maybe the pastor has a Bible. Maybe. If he does have a Bible, maybe he can't read it because he's illiterate. But yet they're seeing more signs and wonders than we are as intelligent theologians. Maybe it's not so much about the Bible, but about the author. <laughs> Next slide. This is a church. Listen, I showed up at this place. They didn't have a building. They begged me. We had spent everything we had. We go over there. We spend maybe $30,000 building churches, doing medical, buying food, motorcycles, stuff like that. We literally empty every penny that we've got. We even charge stuff on the credit card. So, you know, when we all stand before God, I just want you to know that Bank of America is going to get a lot of glory. <laughs> Churches are going to miss out, but Bank of America, Visa, they're, they're going to get so much glory on Judgment Day. But they didn't have a church, and they stood there. The Maasai men met me, and they literally begged me. They begged me. They said, please, please build us a church. We have no school. Our children have no education. We need a place where our children can go to school. There's, as far as the eye can see in every direction, there's nothing. And they said, would you please build us a church and put us a school where we can get, you know, spiritual food and where our children can get academic learning. And we had already spent everything we had. And while I was preaching under the anointing, I said, you'll have a church and a school. And I'm going, yeah, well, you did it again. <laughs> <coughs> while we were there, God said to me, the woman that had a little bit of oil in the vessel, remember, and God said, go collect all the other vessels. Take that little bit and pour it, and I'll multiply it and fill the other ones. How many of y'all remember that story? We can look it up. It's in the Bible. And so God spoke that to me. We were broke. We'd spent everything we had. We still had another three weeks there to buy food and medical supplies and stuff like that. And God impressed that on my mind real quick. And it's like, Don, just pour. Don't worry about where it's coming from. Just keep pouring because God has a special place in his heart for the poor. And so that woman, she collected a bunch of vessels and she poured. Do you all remember the story? But what if she only got 10 vessels? How many was God going to fill? What if she had gotten 20? What if she would have gone out in the community and filled everybody's? What if she would have gone to all the villages and filled them all? You see, the supply is unlimited. It's our thinking that's limited. And so God said, you just keep pouring. And so, man, we'd take our credit card and we'd charge and we'd buy food. And I'd be on the Internet and saying, you know, we need help. We're trying to feed the hungry people. And so we also bought a motorcycle. We didn't have enough money for the motorcycle. Thank God somebody here helped us to buy this man a motorcycle. That was just unbelievable. My wife and I just wept that somebody would do that. And we were spending money for food. And I was just pleading with people to help us that we were out of money. 
And a lady found me on Facebook. She said, I got saved in the early 80s at one of your crusades. I found you on Facebook. I saw what you were doing. I'm putting a check for $1,000 in the mail to you. God just said, keep pouring, keep pouring. A a Baptist church in South Carolina sent me $1,000 from a Sunday school class. I mean, it's just, it's like God said, you pour. I'll take care of the supply. You meet their needs. And I'll take care of meeting your needs. So we just kept pouring the next slide. This is the church that we did. We couldn't afford, but we put it up. Just two weeks ago, I sent enough money to put a concrete floor in and put the sides on. We're starting a school. In order to have a school, you have to feed the children. It's going to cost us about five to $700 a month. Many times, that's the only meal that they get for the day. So we have to buy grain, and they eat a lot of maize. And so we have to have a kitchen we're going to build. We have to build latrines. We have to build a place for the teacher to live. We're going to put the teacher on a salary, pay him from our ministry. Because, see, if they get saved, they don't get an education. Guess where they're going to be a 1,000 years from now? The same place. And so we want to make a generational change in the Maasai tribe. And so, you know, people think, well, do you have a lot of money? Listen, most of the trips when we go to Africa, we don't even have the money to get there. I was in a church in Corpus. We needed $6,000 to get our trip done and our last trip. And at the church in Corpus, the pastor said, well, do you have your money? I said, no. And when are you leaving? We said, a week. And you don't have enough money? No, but we're going. (laughs) The church gave us $6,000 to cover our expenses. That's never happened in our ministry. Never happened. So we put this up. This is going to be one of our first schools, churches, and everything at home. Because, you know, the teacher, he can't walk five hours to teach that day and then walk home. So you have to build a home for him. But, you know, a home for the teacher only costs like $1,500. Okay, next slide. This is an interview. I don't know if you could turn it up if you all can hear part of it. Start it back over. This, this is, and pause it. This is Embedi, a village. As far as the eye can see, it's absolutely nothing. It's desolate. And this is the people that said, please build us a church. We had no money. And I said, we'll do it. In three weeks, we had what you just saw up. In three weeks, that structure was up. That's trucking it from Nairobi that is hours and hours away from where we built this. And this man was at the church, and he said, I want to share something. And this is what he shared. It's hard to understand. Whereby you don't have even a school. We, you guys come here and say you will construct a church. People even here saw it as a dream. Mm-hmm. Because they did not believe that a school can come here in this forest. Because they just live in the forest, the kids are just at home. They are not going to school. They are not going any learning because there is no school here. There is no church here. Which means they are not going, even growing spiritually, neither academically. Have a big problem. They are now surprised when they see this house here. Because they have never seen a house or even come to a class. They even say they don't this will happen. They've been asking themselves, this, this cannot happen. This is not possible because you cannot be in this. They enough. have never seen this house. You can see that also on our website, but they couldn't believe that somebody would come out there to help them. They were stunned. Hundreds of people showed up and they go, why are you here? Why would a white person come out here to help us? Why would you construct this house or this church? Why would you come to help us with the school? They're literally blown away. We take medical supplies, do medical camps. And I know that kind of freaks out. You know, I have a lot of charismatics have a problem with that, you know. And, I mean, it's like, well, you know, you're seeing, I mean, literally, we've seen blind eyes open. We've seen, I can't, I can't tell you. I just literally can't tell you all the miracles we've seen. 
one lady was walking to the hospital, never been to the hospital in her life, 65-something years old, never been to the doctor. She was walking hours in the bush, maybe days, to get to the hospital. She was so sick. And as she was walking through the bush, God spoke to her. We were out under a tree, and God spoke to her. I never met this lady and said, don't go to the hospital. Go to this village. There's a man there that will pray for you, and you'll be healed. And so I'm preaching, and this lady comes walking up in her shukas and all of her garments. And she walks up, and she has a translator. And she comes up to me and says, God spoke to me. I'm going to the hospital. I'm very, very ill. God said if you prayed for me, I'd be healed. She was healed instantly. I mean, it's just, there's literally thousands of those. And so when we take medical camps, the charismatics go, well, you don't need medicine. Just let them all get healed like you're seeing. Well, for the ones that don't, we give medicine. <laughs> Listen, a healing's a healing. I don't care how they get it. You know, I mean, that's just how I think. It's like, look, I tried praying for you. It didn't help. Try this. You know, if you don't like that, you come with us and heal them all. <laughs> I was under a tree and God spoke to me and said, I want you to tell every one of them I'm going to heal every sick person here. And I thought, you have got to be kidding. <laughs> and so I said, everybody here that's sick, come up. God's going to heal you. God healed every one of them. The third person I prayed for was a blind lady. God opened up her eyes instantly. Amen. And it's not me. <laughs> I mean, listen, you really realize it over there. You know, I mean, it's like God's just making us look good, but it's not us. I mean, it really isn't. It's just God's grace. It's just God magnifying himself. You can go to the next slide. This is typical church under the tree. We're feeding them. We gave them uh, maize and beans, mixed beans. And we just, I mean, we did this on several locations. We'd charge it, and then we'd come back and look at our email, and we'd get to a civilization, and somebody sent money, and this person sent money. And it's like, yeah, we'll do another one. And we'd go and charge more, and more money would come in. It's just really incredible. Next slide. This is where we're giving away the food. Oh, gosh, you just, they're desperate. They haven't eaten in days. And we didn't want to give them. So, you know, this one guy said, you need to go preach in Doldol. It's a very, very, very remote, dry place. And I said, well, they're dying of starvation there. And they said, yeah, but they need the gospel. I said, no, you're not going to get me to go there and preach. <laughs> not unless we can take them food. I'm not about to go there and preach Jesus. Say, be warm and fed. Go in peace. <laughs> it's like, I got to take food. I mean, I got to feed them before I tell them about Jesus. And God supplied that we were able to take a lot of food on a truck. We had to hire security, so we had to have policemen go because they'll raid the trucks and murder the people driving the truck to get the food. And so, I mean, you know, there's this, and the tribe, the Maasai tribe, they're very, very, very warrior-like. I mean, I was sitting under a tree one day, and somebody had stole one of their goats. And I'm sitting under the tree with some men with a translator, and I said, well, this man that stole your goat, what did y'all do? And they said, oh, we cut him up. Just like that, we, we, we cut him up. It's nothing to them take their sword out and cut somebody up. They, they practice women's circumcision, and the Maasai are trying to steal some of those women. They give them away at a 10 and 11 years old for marriage. They're polygamous. They have 7, 8, 15 wives, and they give them away for cows. So they'll take their 11-year-old daughter, give them to a man for marriage, if they'll give them four or five cows. And some of our Maasai friends are kidnapping some of those girls and saving them from early marriage and circumcision. One of our friends, our pastor friends, stole one of the girls, a father saw him, and cut him. Got a big old cut with the sword across here. One of my pastor friends got saved. The dad walked up in front of the church, pulled his sword out, and cut his own son for giving his life to Jesus. So it's nothing for them to kill somebody. People say, well, are you safe? <laughs> really, now? It's like, you mess with us. You're not going home. I mean, we take food, build churches, 
educate their kids, medical, the whole Maasai tribe protect us. We showed up one place and a man was mad. One of the Maasai warriors was very angry and showed up, walked into the medical clinic, started screaming, I don't know, because it was in Maasai, at our nurse that we hire and pay to take out there and give injections, started yelling at him. And all of a sudden, 15 Maasai had that guy and they cornered him and they were backing him up to the corner of the village. I don't know what they told him, but he was gone. I don't know if he's there anymore <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, he might be gone permanently. <laughs> But when, I'm going to tell you, we are so safe. I have friends there. And I don't mean this in an arrogant way at all. Without a doubt in my mind, without a doubt, they would die for me. They love me to the death. And when I go walk somewhere, there'll be three or four of them with me. I go into a restaurant to eat, and there's three or four with me. I mean, we are the spectacle of Kenya. I mean, we're sitting around a table, and, you know, I mean, they don't even know how to use a fork and a knife. You know, they order off the menu, they go, meat. They eat nothing but meat. Meat. And I go, well, um, you have to look at the picture. Which one? I said, this is a hamburger. No ham, beef. <laughs> I said, no, no, it's a hamburger, but it's really a beef burger. No ham. <laughs> says hamburger. No beef burger. <laughs> I mean, and you sit down to eat with them, and they just grab it with their hands, and, you have to, and I feel so bad because they want to be like us. So they take a knife and they try to hold it and try to figure out how to do it. So we just stay out there with them. We've had many, many meals inside their mud hut with them, underneath a tree with them. Uh, I drink their tea. Uh, you can go to some one of the slides. I'll show you. I've baptized people. This is their shoe. They make their shoes out of car tires. If they have the money, they get old car tires. They cut the bottom of it. That's the tread. And then they take other straps and they nail the straps to hang it on. So I don't know how many miles they get to a pair of shoes. but <laughs> Next slide. This is where we gave shoes away. And I'm going to tell you, this is a school that we're hoping to get a water well out. You can see how dry it is around them, but we're hoping to get a water well there. Uh, the school was out of room. One of the children's classes was meeting in the sun. So we built a church, and now we're using the church for school, and they also had a government school there. And the government's supposed to deliver food, but it usually gets stolen before it gets there. Next picture. This is one of the churches that we built, and... As you can see, it was full. We just opened the church. Next slide. It was so full, we had to meet outside for church that day. Next slide. These, these are Maasai Maran warriors from age, you know, 15 to 17. They just live out in the bush. They kill animals. They hunt. Uh, they do that for 10 years, and they're very hard to approach. It's very hard to get with them and talk with them like I did. So I wanted to get with them. Whenever I would approach them, they scatter. And they just stay away from people because they're guards. They're guarding if there's a market out there from animals or from other tribes because of tribal warfare. And so they're just guarding there. And so I, I thought, I've got to get to them. I want to witness to them. I want to tell them about Jesus. I like the Maasai Marans. I mean, they're just really cool people. And uh, they said, well, you need to give them a feather. I said, well, doggone it. Let's buy some feathers. So I found out what a feather was. It's an artificial flower, a plastic flower. One of the pictures, you can see it in their head. See? It's like a plastic rose. So I went to a place, and I bought a bunch of them, put them in a bag, took them out to the bush with me, and I would hold them up, and all the Maasai Marans would come, and I got to tell them about Jesus and how to get saved, and I even had some gospel tracts, because I really believe in gospel tracts. I know America quit believing in those a long time ago, but we use them over there, and, and we had them printed in Maasai. Go to the next slide. See, I'm giving them a Maasai track. It says, Connect with Jesus. Notre Yesu. And so I give them that... 
gospel tract tells them how to get saved. Well, that's the only picture they have. And so in their mud hut, we go in their huts, we see these gospel tracts all over the Maasai land because they put them up as a picture. And when people come over that can read, they take it down, they read it to everybody, and people get saved. Gospel tracts can still work. I know they don't work here, but I don't know what does. Anyway, next chapter. Next. Uh, this is another village. We just started a church two weeks ago out here. Really going to cost more money than we expected because it's so far out in the middle of nowhere. Next slide. This is the area that you just saw. This is a typical little Masak head. Uh, we're starting a school there, too. Well, I don't know how we're going to get it all together, but God does. Next slide. This is very nasty water. They tell you and your missionary, do not get in the water. I mean, it's stagnant, nasty. It smells. But when they come up to you and say, will you baptize me? It would be an honor to have a Mazungu baptize me. Well, you can't say, you know, the Bible says, here's water. What hindereth thee other than it's dirty? Dirty water hindereth you from being baptized. And so I told my wife, that's the closest we've ever been to divorce in 33 years of marriage. My wife said, no, you're not getting in that water because people, parasites get inside of their bodies. They come back to the States. And sometimes people die because they can't diagnose what parasite it was. And so I said, I'm doing it. I mean, you know, God's going to have to kill them before they kill me because I'm getting in the water. And so I got in the water. I don't know what was on the bottom, but I was about this deep in whatever was on the bottom. <laughs> and uh, baptized about 60 people. And then we were at another village, and it was a water tank for cows. And we had to skim all the green off. And after we got the green off, I climbed into that. My wife, I'm telling you, she was, it was unbelievable. But we made it. See, every day we saw miracles. <laughs> the fact that she's still with me is a miracle. Next slide. And you got to understand, my wife was raised with a silver spoon in her mouth, and she's out in the bush of Africa. You talk about a miracle. I'm talking, she's gotten sick, I mean deathly sick, out in the middle of nowhere. There's no doctor, I mean no commodes, no running water. And, uh, and listen, when we were out there, I told my wife, I said, this is hard. I mean, this is hard. I'm just telling you. It's, we, now, when we take people like you, if you go, we don't take you where we go. You know, we find hotels. I mean, you know, like one-star hotels. <laughs> Some of them have commodes. Most of them have just a hole in the bathroom in the ground. And they do, some have warm water. <laughs> but uh, we try to take you maybe to a tented camp or something like that. But that's the only way you're going to be able to minister to these people is to get out there with them. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, when I was there, it was like, honey, this is hard. My wife said this, yeah, this is exactly how Jesus lived. See, Jesus was poor by our standards. He didn't have a commode. I know we all think that Jesus was a middle-class American. But he lived in unbelievable poverty compared to how you live. And I remember laying in my own sweat and roaches everywhere. And I remember laying there one night and I said, God, you know, I mean, I've left the United States. I've left, you know, we sold our house. We sold our furniture. We sold our cars. We sold everything we've got. And we bought an RV. And we moved into an RV so that we could simplify our life so that we can do more in Africa. So we just basically sold out. And don't feel sorry for me because really it's the other way around. <laughs> I mean, people go, oh, I'm so sorry. And they say, oh, your wife needs a house. And my wife is like, you know, listen, this is what God called us to do. We have the grace for it. You know, so we're not looking for pity or sympathy or anything. But when I was there, I said, God, I left the United States. I mean, I'm, 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 talking, I'm talking about a country with streets of gold and pearly gates. <laughs> I've left there and I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And this is hard, God. And this is what God spoke to me. 
He said, you left the United States to come live with the Maasai. But you haven't left nothing. Because I left heaven to live with you so that you could get the gospel. And I said, God, I'll never complain again. I'll never complain because I've not sacrificed anything compared to what you've sacrificed. The United States doesn't compare to heaven that Jesus left so that you and I could be saved. Next slide. This is a medical camp. This is a Maasai. They're uh, called Labon. He's a witch doctor that had gotten converted. The witch doctors are very, very powerful, called Laboni. It's generational in their family. Uh, barren women, they come to the, to the Labon, and they get pregnant. Sick people go to the Labon, they get healed. So the Satan can duplicate everything that we can do, other than salvation. And so we got to talk to him and interview him. He gave his life to Jesus. He was beaten in his village for committing his life to Christ as a Labon. And, uh, but as a result of him, we're going into Tanzania this trip because the Labone are so respected. The witch doctors are held in very high esteem. Well, I found out that when the witch doctor gets saved, the whole village gets saved. And so I told the person that we travel with, I want to go to the, every place where the Labone live. I want to witness to every Labone. Take me to Tanzania. There's a lot of Labone. I want to go sit in their hut. I want to tell them about Jesus because when they get saved, the village will get saved. Then we can skip next. We'll let the Labone pastor the church. Without seminary. Next slide. <laughs> oh, I bought this guy this motorcycle. Whoever it was here that helped us. L- let me tell this. I know it's late and we need to hurry and watch kickoff and stuff. But this guy, he was a compassion child. Compassion International paid his way through school. And uh, we met up with him. He loves Jesus. He's the most humble, God-loving man. He's skin and bone. When you touch him, you never feel meat. You just feel bone. He lives in a mud hut with his mom. And, uh, and we trust him. And so we use him. He's our ground person. So he'll go to an area. And he needed a way to get there because he takes a matatu, which is a very dangerous little bus. And he gets there. And then he goes to the lumber yard, finds out the price, gets the material, purchases it. We send him money, gram. He purchases the material, follows the lumber yard way out to the bush three or four hours, watches him build the church, takes pictures. And we've got him a computer. We've got him on the Internet so he can email us all of the receipts for accountability. And he sends us pictures of the churches that he's building through the money that we send. And so we needed to get him a motorcycle. Well, this motorcycle costs $4,200, a Yamaha 125. So we, we tried to raise money for about a year or six months to raise money to buy a $4,000 motorcycle. And because we're so poor in the United States, I was only able to raise $1,200. <coughs> <laughs> and so we got there, and I thought, well, I'll just add a little bit of money to it. I can buy a cheap Chinese motorcycle for 1600 And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'll just add a couple hundred dollars to it, get a $1,600 motorcycle. But I've got to pay for the maintenance because they don't know how to maintain them, change the oil. It doesn't last, so that's I've got to buy that. I've got to buy their insurance. I don't have insurance. And so I'm going to pay for all that too. And I'm at the Yamaha place, and it's like, so how much is this one? $1,600. I said, I want that one then. And I kept looking at that Yamaha because, see, I bought another one before, and they only last, the Chinese ones only last about two years. And they just fall apart. But these last forever. And so I said, well, I'll take this one. So they put the cheaper one up there. And this guy, Isaiah, his name is Isaiah. Isaiah is the right way to pronounce it. Isaiah, we were buying it for him. But he didn't know it. And so I'm dealing with him, negotiating. And finally I said, I'll take the red one, the cheap Chinese one. And the owner found out who I was. I was a missionary. And we'd been buying motorcycles. And we were going to buy more. He came up and he said, I can't sell it to you. 
they keep coming back. There's a problem with them. If you'll wait three months, I can get you the same model, same amount of money, but I don't want to sell this to you because I know you won't buy motorcycles from me again. So I don't want to sell it. So I said, okay, I'll take the good one. <laughs> and it's like, ah, so, you know, out comes Visa. <laughs> you know, thank God for Visa. <laughs> I mean, I praise God for Visa all the time because, I mean, Visa is supplying our need. And so... I pull the credit card out and I charge the other bit of the money and, and so we set this money. Let me show it to you. The next slide, play that next video. Now he doesn't understand it first. So we got all this set up. We go to eat. We walk in. Now he doesn't understand. He thinks we're praying for him to have this motorcycle. See, he doesn't understand we're giving it to him. So I say, this is yours. But he thinks we're praying for this to be yours. And he goes, oh, praise God. Oh, we're praying. Oh, thank you for praying. <laughs> then he realizes we were giving it to him that day. <laughs> no, he doesn't realize it yet. Now he realizes we're giving him the motorcycle. I'm giving this key to this Yamaha. Did it mess up? I don't know if it'll play through, but when we gave him the keys, he makes this comment. I hope you get to hear it. He says, the Bible says to go, and I will go, and I want to thank you for giving me another leg. This is our second missionary motorcycle that we bought here in Kenya, and we present you the keys to your motorcycle to help spread the gospel. Praise God. Thank you very much for the motorbike. Thank you very much to our brother Don to buy for me a motorbike for the Gospels. I'm going very far places to preach the Gospels and actually to build churches from very far, very, very, very far uh, places and different places. And I thank you very much because it makes my work to be very easy. So thank you very much and may God bless you so much. Oh, is this my key? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much for giving me actually a a a a to run solo. Yeah. yeah, to be easy to run. Yeah. So yeah. God bless you so much. I love you. Thanks all over. When you send it to me, it is very easy to do. Very easy to do. <laughs> and I will go. Because the Lord said, boom, and I will go. <laughs> He's right now way out in the middle of the bush. He's right now, we're constructing a church and a school. Even now, he's, they had to get the material from Tanzania. And 
You can go to the next slide and we'll be done. This, we ran into some white rhinos. This is Lake Nakuru. So I thought this is interesting. And uh, there's no zoom. We're, we're in a vehicle. I'm just taking a picture. It's a family of white rhinos. And they begin to come towards us. So we've got two people from the USA, and they're, they're like, start the car, start the car. <laughs> Look, if we haven't been killed by everything we've been around, we're not worried about a rhino. <laughs> you could have seen the Americans at this point. <laughs> that is no Zoom. <laughs> and then Daddy Rhino begins to come. That's why we're starting the car. That's Dad. Very protective. He could flip our vehicle so easy. And he comes right up to us anyway. Yeah, that's enough white Rhino. We see elephants, lions. I'm from here to Haroldton, many, many lions in a vehicle. We don't need Zoom. I mean, they walk right up to the vehicle. And, I mean, we've seen every kind of wildlife you can imagine. It's just really something that we see every day over there. But, you know, the greatest thing that we see is we're seeing the gospel spread. And, you know, listen, every one of us here, I don't care who you are, you're going to die. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing with your life eternally? When your life is over, you're going to say, hey, God, you know, look what I did. I had a four-bedroom house and two cars. <laughs> I had a good job. Or is God going to see that you made eternal investments? Because the only thing that's going to live on is what you do eternally. Eternally. And we've had the four-bedroom house. We've had the nice cars. I've had the good salaries. We've had all the comfort of everything. And honest to God. We're more thrilled now than we've ever been. We have very little. <laughs> but we're more thrilled now by what we're seeing. We are living the New Testament. We're living it. I don't read it. I'm living it. I'm in it every day over there. And then we have to come back here and, you know, whatever. But What about you? You know, I don't think that God is ever going to say to anybody on Judgment Day, you gave away too much money to the kingdom. <laughs> I've really learned something, and I've been preaching for 37 years. I've really learned this, and this is, I'm not trying to trick you into giving. <laughs> you really can't outgive God. It's taken me till I went to Africa. Now, I've built buildings and stuff like that in the United States, but we did all that by proposals and budgets and but I've really learned that principle of keep pouring. And the more that you pour, the more that he supplies. And see, the thing is, you'll never experience that until you pour first. You only see that miracle after you've poured from the little bit that you've got. So what about you? I'm done. I know it's late. But what about you? It's more than church, people. If that's what all this was about, then I would ask God to kill me and take me home. If this is it, really, look at me. If this is it, 
to get up to go to church on Sunday, maybe occasionally a Wednesday, to get up to go to work, to come home, to eat, to go to bed, to get up, to go to work, to come home, to eat, to get up, to go to bed, to go home, to eat, to go to work. to go. Come on. That's not our purpose. Your purpose is bigger than a career, bigger than a job, bigger than just living, bigger than just church. God's purpose for you is eternal. It's forever. It's unending. God's got stuff for every one of you here that you'll never know. You'll never know it until the day that you sell out to him. People are going to go to heaven. There's a story I've heard. I don't know who told it to me, but the guy got to heaven and, and Peter showed him around and said, look at this mansion, look at this mansion, look at this place, look at this place. And the man saw a warehouse and he said, what's over there? He said, I don't want to show you. He told the angel, I want to see. He said, I can't show you. But because it was heaven, the angel took him. He said, that warehouse has my name on it. I want to see what's inside. The angel said, please don't make me show you. And when they opened up the doors, he walked in. He said, what is this? And the angel said, this is all the stuff that God wanted to give you, but you weren't ready to receive. You all have warehouses. There's so much that God wants to do in your life in this short, short life. The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's here and it's gone. I mean, it just feels like, doesn't it, to some of you that are middle-aged that it wasn't long ago you were in college? Look now. Your kids were at home. They're gone. What's happened to life? It's flying. It's getting past you. And one day, you're going to be in eternity. What did you do to make a difference in eternity? That's what counts. God's not going to be proud of you because of a big bank account or a 401k. Bernie Madoff will make off with that. What God's interested in is this kind of stuff. I'm not saying just Africa, South America, Central America. Billions of people that live on a dollar a day. I wish I could take every one of you with me and let you live it and feel it. Everybody that I've taken said, I've seen your pictures, I've seen your videos. It doesn't do 1% of what I've experienced. One grown man that was a member of my church, 37 years old, he was in the room next to me. At night, every night, I heard him weeping in his room. Deep, I mean, <gasps> just weeping like that. And I said, so what about the trip? He says, I would have never dreamed. I would have never dreamed in my life to see what I'm seeing by traveling with you out in these remote places. You know, all the things that we can make a difference, you got to start with you. You are going to die, friend. I don't care if you have the wealth of Bill Gates. You're going to die. You're going to die. Where are you going to spend an eternity? You need to ask yourself that question. You really do. I'm not talking church. I'm talking Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, if you would, just for a second. I want you to do a little spiritual inventory. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I just want you to do spiritual inventory. Are you really saved? Are you just a church attender? I just go to church. Church is a vital part of my life. I love my pastor. I love my church. Every once in a while, I give God a tip. But do you have a vital, living relationship with the God of this universe? Does He walk with you and talk with you along life's narrow way? I mean, do you really know God? See, I know that I know God. 
I know God. I know He lives. Because He lives within my heart. It's my prayer that there's anybody here today that says, I don't know. If I died today, I don't know where I'd spend an eternity. I really don't. Why put it off another minute? Do you know that you know that you know that you know when this life is over and you cross over into eternity where you're going to spend forever? You will live forever. The question is where? With every head bowed, no one looking. If you say, I know that I know that I know that I know. I know Jesus. I know God. He's changed my life. I've radically abandoned my life to Him. I'm making a difference in His kingdom. I'm making a difference eternally. I'm not living for me. I'm living for Him. I've committed my life to Him. I've been born again. If you know that you know that, lift your hand right now and put it back down. God bless you. You put your hands down. If you're here and you say, Don, I don't know. I'm not going to embarrass you. God would never do that to you. He loves you too much. If you're here and you say, I don't know. If I died today, I don't know where I'd spend forever. I really don't. Deep where I live on the inside, I wonder. I wonder if I died today, where would I spend forever? If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up right now and put it back down quickly. You're saying, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. Others, quickly, lift your hand up. God bless you. Yes, young man. Yes, sir. Someone else. You say, I don't know if I died where I'd spend forever. Pray for me, Don. Right now, nobody's looking. Just lift your hand up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, young man. Others, quickly. Yes, yes. This couple right here. Oh, I love it when that happens. You know what? The husband doesn't even know that the wife raised their hand. They're going to leave saved. Others of you. This is real. This is about God coming into your life. He's going to change your life today. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. If you're here and you raised your hand, maybe you didn't, but you need to get saved today. I want you to, I want you to picture Jesus in your mind right now because he's the one that saves, not me. I want you to get a visual image, however you want to look at him. Just get a visual image because you're going to talk to him, okay? You want to know him. You want to be radically saved. I want you to picture him in your mind. Get a visual image. Look at him and say these words to him. Dear God, say it to him in your heart. I need you. Say it to him. I need you, Jesus. Look at him and say it again. I need you, Jesus. I'm desperate for you today. Look at him and say that to him. Look in his eyes. I'm desperate for you, Jesus. I want to know you. I want to know that I know you. I know, look at him, that you died on a cross for my sin. I know that, Jesus. You died for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. And because you did that, look at it. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Tell him that right now. Come on, this is so important. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Ask him right now. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Take it away. And now that I'm clean, fill me with your presence. Tell him that. Fill me with your presence. Every one of you that prayed that prayer, lift your hand right now. Let me see. Don't be ashamed. God bless you all over the auditorium. God bless you everywhere. Listen to me, friend. Don't ever be ashamed of Jesus. For some reason, our nation, our country has moved into a place that we're ashamed of the creator of the universe. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You can ridicule me. You can make fun of me. I don't care. But I'm proud to know Jesus as my Savior. And I'll never back down. And every one of you that prayed to receive Christ, you need to be unashamed. You need to be proud of the fact you met God today. That Jesus now lives in you. And He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll fulfill every promise. But you know what? You need to take a stand for Him. And today's the first day. You're going to take a stand tomorrow. And the rest of your life, you will be called on to take a stand for Jesus. So we're going to have rehearsal. We're going to rehearse what it is to take a stand. Every one of you that prayed that prayer, every one of you that meant it, listen to me, listen. If you didn't mean it, don't waste your time or mine standing. But if you stand, this is what you're saying. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. I am giving it all. Everything I own, all of my past, all of my present, all of my future, I abandon myself to Jesus Christ. And I'm proud of it. I am His beginning today. If that's the prayer that you prayed and you meant that in your heart, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to count to three. I want you to jump to your feet. Now listen, when you stand, I don't want you to look around for one second to see if somebody else stands to determine whether or not you stand. I want you to stand if you're the only one in this auditorium that stands. Because you're going to stand with God if nobody else stands. That's life. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to count to three. You think about whether or not you meant it. If you meant it, you unashamedly, proudly, boldly jump to your feet when I say three. And by jumping to your feet, you're saying, I mean business with God. Father, in Jesus' name, for everybody that prayed, for everybody that meant it, God, separate those that did, those that didn't. Those that did, give them courage, give them faith, give them boldness to unashamedly stand for you, the King of the universe, the Savior of the world. God, what an awesome opportunity to stand for you, the one that died for us. So God, give them courage in Jesus' name. One, two, three. Stand to your feet right now if you prayed that prayer. Remain standing. Just remain standing. Don't be ashamed. Don't think, I don't... Somebody's thinking this about me. Don't even think that. Think about what the angels are thinking. Thinking about what God is thinking. Think about what Jesus is thinking. Who cares what anybody else thinks? You're not standing for me. You're not standing for your pastor. You're standing for Jesus. And that's an opportunity. That's a privilege that you can stand for Him when He died for you. So you remain standing. I think we have counselors or something, don't you? Y'all all come up to the front. I'm going to pray for you. Just make your way up here. You say, I didn't know I was going to come in front of people. Come in front of Are you kidding me? You're living for Jesus. Come on. Listen, if you didn't mean it, if you're chicken, sit down. But if you meant it, I want you to come. And if you sat back down and you really meant it, I want you to jump to your feet and come to the front. I want to pray for you. Father, as they come, God, for every one of these. God, I pray they never back up. I pray they never back up from the decision they're making today. I rebuke all pride and arrogance and religiosity. That what are they going to think? 
when I tell my family and my friends that I gave my life to Jesus today. God, deliver them from that kind of thinking. God, I thank you for the rebirth day. Thank you, God, that today their name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Today your presence came to live inside of them. Today they became yours, God. The miracle begins today. The miracle begins today, God, in their life. I pray for every one of them to stand every day for you unashamedly. I pray that every one of them will commit to you to live for the eternal and not for the temporal. God, I pray that every one of them become a follower and a disciple of Jesus. That they serve you and follow you the rest of the days of their life. That they live for what lives on and not for what happens today. Any others you come. Don't forget intercessors, prayer warriors. If you'll intercede for us, sign up on the sign-up sheet. Just a while back, I preached a sermon on what the angels do when somebody repents and gives their life to Christ. So church, let's give God a standing ovation. Would you do that? Come on. Woo, yeah. Come on, church. Let's worship. Let's celebrate. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Not yet. Just wait. We want to, we want to do this. Because we met this morning, and I just, I knew God was going to do something very powerful. I, I knew God, I, I just knew. And so I, th- I had all the leadership team. I said, show up early. We've got to get prepared for this. And uh, I wasn't prepared for this. I'm serious. I, I wasn't prepared for this. So this is what Jeff just said. He whispered to Mary, and this is what we should do. I want everybody that's accepted Christ this morning, let's go back to the youth room. See where Jeff is back there? Wave, Jeff. We want to get all of you back there. We want, we want the information on you so we can follow up with you about your decision to follow Christ, okay? We're, we take this very seriously. Listen, he, he, he said, if you weren't serious, don't come up here. If you weren't serious, don't stand. You're serious today. This is a defining moment in your life. Nothing will be the same from today on. Nothing. The way you look at things, the way you live, the way everything will change for you today. It already is beginning this moment. But we want to disciple you. We want to empower you. We want to come alongside you to live this life. Some of you might have pretended for a long time, and you know the game. It's no longer a game, is it? It's, a seri- it's business. It's serious business. So we're going to ask all the ministry team, go ahead, and, and all of you that have made a decision for Christ, I do not want you to leave this morning. And Don, even, Don said, listen, this paper is serious. It's important that we get this information about you. So if you all would just go ahead and follow Brother Cam and head back to that, to that room. Y'all can go ahead and do that. And we're going to take, we're going to have communion, but I want y'all to go ahead and head back to the to the youth room. Everybody that made a decision for Christ and the ministry team, want y'all to go ahead and head back that way. And I want y'all to know that this is not just a piece of paper. It's you're saying, I want, I, I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
We will talk to you about baptism. I'll come back there and visit with y'all about baptism. And I don't care if you've been dunked 10 times. This time it's real. Okay, I was baptized three times. I was dunked two times. I was baptized the, the last time. And I knew what it was. So, and now let me give this charge to the rest of you that say, I know Jesus Christ. I am a minister. I am an evangelist. I am sharing the gospel. Did you see the responsibility that just walked into that back room? If you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a brother, you're a sister, you're an uncle, you're an aunt, you're a grandparent, there's a responsibility for you now to come alongside these that have made a decision for Christ. You understand that? This is serious stuff today. Here's the other thing I want to say. Open up your hearts to give. And I'm talking about M-O-N-E-Y. Listen, we've been trying to raise money to finish the downstairs. Listen, I believe what Don is doing. I believe that we've got to start sowing with intent and purpose into something as fantastic as what God's doing over there. So I'm going to ask you, listen. If God says give $1,000, give $1,000. If He says give a dollar, give a dollar. Be obedient to what God is speaking to you today. You know, I told Don, I know why they stay for church for four or five hours. Because they've walked for four or five hours to get there. You've made a 15-minute journey this morning. And you, you've, you've come here and you, we've got this nice building. And we like to have the air conditioning just right. We don't know what they're going through. But listen, we have an idea of it this morning. Do you want to be a part of something dynamic? Listen, if you want to see things happen in your life, you need to start sowing. You need to start sowing into life. By sowing, I mean giving. So give, even if you're poor. The Bible says in Macedonia, they gave out of their poverty. They said, how can we give? If you're not praying, sign up to pray for Don, for for Michelle. There's a prayer sheet uh, uh, that you can sign up on the back on that little desk by the sound booth. Get involved. Be a part of the kingdom of God. Don't you love what God's doing here? Don't you love what God's doing here? So can y'all go ahead and prepare for uh, communion this morning? Those uh, those who are serving communion, would y'all go ahead and prepare for that? Let's just do it two in the front this morning. Just two two, uh, in the front because we've got a lot of people in the back room. Okay? Then uh, Brandon's going to baptize the youth this morning. Man, well, let's just stay here all day. Hey, amen? God, God is moving in this place. I'm, I'm so glad to be a part of what God's doing. So let's, uh, let's visit with those in the back. Communion, worship, baptism. The whole, the whole deal today. Amen. Shall I fear and whom shall I be afraid? And the Lord is my light and salvation. And whom shall I fear? And whom shall I be afraid? And I will wait for you. And I will wait. 
of the Lord. 